Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, friendo, Steve here. And welcome back to Going In Raw, the only pro wrestling podcast you can be listening to right here at youtube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Available wherever podcasts can be found. And of course, tape live at the Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Steve and Larson. It's, uh, I think today is Thanksgiving. I think we're putting this up on Thanksgiving. Is it Thanksgiving or day after Thanksgiving? We'll do this one on Thanksgiving because we don't have anything else going up on Thanksgiving, do we? Very well. Yeah, no. Happy Usually you don't have videos on Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, well, that's, that's a good point. Well, fuck it. It's a special Thanksgiving thing. So if you're sitting there with your family, you're like, oh, I want to be dealing with this shit. They keep on talking about crazy conspiracy theories or something like that. Hey, you can always listen to to, to our Bash of the Beach 1996 review. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was it was a lot of fun. Number one, anything, any any excuse to revisit the 1990s, I'm on board with. Yeah, because it was a, a wonderful decade, and uh, uh, I was—it's funny. I was watching uh, the, the Aronofsky's *The Wrestler* the other day. Yeah, and there's that scene where he ha- he has that date with uh, Aunt May, and he's like, uh, "Man, fucking eighty sucked, man." And she was like, "Yeah, fuck the eighty, because they're like a couple of burnouts whose best days were in the eighties." Yeah. and I'm like, "Man, fuck you, Randy the Ram. The nineties were awesome." Yeah, nineties were pretty cool. This is like a nineties wrestling, though. Like early '90s wrestling was cheesy and corny and cartoonish and over the top and by and large not very good. And so, the, the this pay per view especially is kind of this 
this this uh, this fulcrum, if you will, mm-hmm. where the the balance of, of of pro wrestling power, not just literally but figuratively, mm-hmm. really started to change. I believe already at this juncture, WCW was uh, ahead in the ratings over WWF, but on this pay per view with the birth of the new world organization of professional wrestling brother brother is what really pushed WCW to the stratosphere. It also pushed an era of wrestling, at least the mainstream audiences that, that this is one thing Bischoff pushed uh, in basically anything you read about the formation, of the NWO, he wanted wrestling to see more realistic, Yeah, you know, and that's why even though at, at this particular show, they call Hall and Nash more either uh, the outsiders or they called Nash the big guy. Yeah, there was one there was one moment in the main event starting like when the main event started that Shivani really sort of said that the, the man on the right is Hall. The man on the left is Nash. And it did seem like the first time that they actually referenced because they would always refer to him as the outsiders. And, um, and you know how much of that was legal <laughs> they didn't they didn't know what i mean even at at this show when mean gene gets in the ring to interview scott hall and mm-hmm. kevin nash scott hall still has the razor ramon accent kind of going oh no not kind of it is firmly going. there man and the implication is still they are it's, the pay-per-view is is subtitled the hostile takeover yeah that they are an invading force yeah, yeah. from up north to destroy WCW. That's still the storyline they're kind of pushing. Um, and so I don't know if, if I, I'm sure it was intentional not to use their names a whole lot. Uh, but uh, it, it's interesting to watch this. And like, I know this is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And I think in a matter of weeks, they, they were to television audiences, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. But even at this point in the story, they were trying to avoid calling them consistently by their actual names. Okay, so this was, so Bash of the Beach 96 went down on July the 7th. It was one week prior that the WWF filed the lawsuit. It was on June 29th, according to this, uh, whatever the pro wrestling torch this was, that uh, uh, it was revealed that WWF filed a lawsuit for all that stuff, you know, for them basically saying that we had Hall and uh, Diesel and Razor Ramon in our company, you know who we are, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, they were probably like, okay, I'm sure their legal team was still trying to figure out, do they have a case here? Are we allowed? Should we ease up on the accent for Scott Hall? How do we do? So they were probably still trying to figure out, can we mm-hmm. just call him Diesel and Razor Ramon? It's like, well, just wait on that and see how much weight this lawsuit. You know, dude, I I thoroughly love. So just for some context, you'd mentioned the the the, the head-to-head stuff, WWF versus WWF. So two weeks after this, I mean, the, the SummerSlam was the, the following month. It was the HBK versus Vader match, which, mm-hmm. you know, was is not really looked upon fondly, mainly because, like, you know, it's it's remembered more for Shawn Michaels just yelling at Vader about calling about, you know, spots that are that he's missing uh, mm-hmm. than than any classic matchups. But like uh, the it, during this in July, they had a WWF's pay-per-view is in your house. Nine international incident, which is an awesome name for a pay-per-view. And it featured uh, Undertaker versus Gold Dust, which ended in a DQ Camp Cornette, which was Vader, Owen Hart and British Bulldog. Uh, versus the People's Posse of Shawn Michaels, Sid, and Ahmed Johnson. That was their main event 
Mankind versus Henry Godwin, Stone Cold versus Mark Marrow, uh, the Body Donnas versus the Smooth. So yeah, WCW had a lot more going for it. Yes, they. I mean that that main event was just loaded with names. Um, obviously, and even the match that uh, I believe it was the opening match. If I go to my oh, notes, that was spectacular was outstanding. I mean, Bischoff, Psychosis. yeah, Bischoff really did. He had something. I there, there was something on this card for everybody, yep. including yep. fans of the Chicago Bears. Uh, of course, with the Steve McMichael and uh, Chicago Bear Stan Joe Gomez match. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. One thing I, I, I went and listened to some 83 weeks before we we, we tackled this episode. Um, and he Bischoff did a watch along of this show with Conrad Thompson. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's good. Listen, I didn't get through the whole thing. I jumped around a bit. Um, and and Bischoff was was very clear to credit the cruiserweight division especially in the early days of, of, of WCW starting to win the, the ratings war with, with getting them to that point, say, saying that they were, you know, the talent he was bringing in for that division and the different styles he was, he was uh, giving wrestling viewers credited that with them besting WWE, WWE in the ratings almost just as much as the formation of the NWO. And it was, I was happy to hear him put over the cruiserweight division, you know, because it kind of felt like at a certain point he definitely took that for granted. Yeah, I mean, he he obviously saw a ceiling for the cruiserweight division, but that was a little bit later. They they had basically just started at this pay per view. They had just started bringing Rey Mysterio made his debut one month earlier against Dean Malenko, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I, this might have I'm not sure if this is Psychosis's debut. It was also Conan was very new to the company. I know he wasn't in the in the cruiserweight division, but he got the U.S. title pretty quick. Mm-hmm. He came over and they were touting him as the uh, Mexican heavyweight champion. Now, he was actually the triple A America's champion, which is a championship that only lasted. It was him. It was vacated that October. And then it was one other person and it was vacated entirely. So I mm-hmm. wonder if this was meant to be some sort of like bridge championship between triple A and, and and North American WCW, wrestling. WCW, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet yeah, specifically WCW. But then Conan decided to go there full time. Because he had a good thing going. But the fact that he was bringing in guys like Conan and he was bringing in these cruise weights, he was bringing, he eventually brought in uh, uh, stars from Japan as well. Yeah. Bischoff did have a really good mind at the time for, hey, WWF, like we can afford to take not just their talent, but let's see what other things. This caught on really. There were already signs in the crowd for Lucha Libre and WCW. There was one right there in the front. There was a couple more that we saw. And I mean, Bischoff understood you put some really, really great wrestling on people are going to be into it because a lot of the other card did not feature that same level of great wrestling. You've got Big Bubba versus John Tenta on here in like a a ball sack on a pole match. Um, It was it was a lot of this pay-per-view was an absolute mess. I actually really love this era of wrestling just because I love the overtly bad stuff. Because it's not boring. It celebrates what's great in pro wrestling in just the sheer entertainment value of it. I can appreciate a great technical match. I can appreciate a a Zack Sabre Jr. match. But uh, this era of wrestling, especially in WCW, when they did sort of balance the overtly bad with the really, really good innovative stuff, 
um, is just really fun to watch because you, you're taken on a roller coaster throughout this thing and you get ed- like this pay-per-view had everything going for it. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It had a little bit of everything. Um, so let's set things up here. Of course, you know, this this pay-per-view is noteworthy for the birth of the NWO. So kind of leading up to it, I think it was about six weeks prior, Scott Hall debuts. He drops a promo. You know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. Uh, I think the week after that, he confronts Sting or Sting confronts him. And and Scott Hall says, I have a big friend who's going to show up next week. That ended up being Kevin Nash. And, you know, hey, they say this is where the big boys play. Note the adjective play. I think that was the week after. Yeah. Um, and then they revealed at, I believe, Great American Bash race slightly before there was a third man, brother. brother. And so that was the build up to Bash at the Beach. They have this six man tag match where it's the outsiders and this mystery third man against Sting, Macho Man and Lex Luger. And at Great American Bash, uh, Kevin Nash had powerbombed Eric Bischoff through the stage. And the whole thing going on throughout this, this, the show is where is Bischoff? Mm-hmm. Was he kidnapped? Mm-hmm. Where is he? Yeah. No one seemed to know where he, he was. Yeah. Turns out he was up in the nosebleeds watching the main event in the crowd. <laughs> um, that's what he revealed yeah. on an episode eight of three weeks. Um, the, Did the he story, wear a disguise of any sort? He said he had sunglasses and a hat. Yeah. He, he said a, he found he is a very generic he, looking white man. And <laughs> I mean, and he just said, I found the seat furthest away from people I could find. OK. Um, all right. What's interesting is, is, is that it was a full building, um, but they had to they comped about nineteen hundred tickets, oh, wow. even though they had to turn turn away two thousand people at the door. Again, this is from the 83 weeks episode uh, on the show. And apparently, you know, they uh, Bischoff was talking about how they had to book the venue months in advance. You know, and they 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 had those comps early on, go out to radio stations, TV stations, so on and so forth, giveaway contests, generate buzz for the show. So in in essence, <clears throat> they booked the venue and gave away those tickets before they even really started the story. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so he was like, in hindsight, do we do we shortchange ourselves in terms of getting a a, a good uh, a, a better gate? Yeah. But it's just one of those things that happens. Um, yeah, it's it'd be hard to like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't know what the, I mean. Look, the A story before this, of course, was uh, the Dungeon of Doom versus Hulk Hogan. They had that muscle car thing. Uh, Giant was the uh, was the champion, champion going yeah. into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, and honestly, like that would that felt like he was in a tag match. And uh, and that just felt like I'm not going to say an afterthought, but it basically felt like an afterthought. It really did. Honestly, when when Steve McMichael comes up behind Giant and bashes him in the back with something and and Giant chases him backstage, I was like, OK, that's Giant's gone now. He's mm-hmm. out of the match now. Mm-hmm. He's too worried about beating up McMichael. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kevin Sullivan was going to eat this out. It didn't turn out that way, mm-hmm. but that's how it felt. It definitely mm-hmm. did feel like an afterthought. Um, going back to the NWO thing. It's endlessly fascinating. I can listen to anybody talk about the process of putting the NWO together mm-hmm. and and the negotiations that I'm sure had to go into place to convince Hogan to do it. Bischoff on both the episodes, 83 weeks, talked about it uh, pretty significantly. You know, it, it was it was it was like he had Sting. He was going to be the third guy mm-hmm. because apparently about a year prior he had talked to Hogan about turning heel, not even related to the NWO. Yeah. Um, and Hogan, he went to visit Hogan at his house, I believe. Uh, Bischoff made his pitch. According to him, Hogan looked at his watch and said, I got to go get the kids from school, brother. See you later. 
<laughs> Which I Wait, guess is his way of saying no. <laughs> was that the conversation? I remember. I th- I swear, maybe it was in the Nitro book when Bischoff talks about how uh, uh, Hogan, uh, when he was sort of you know vocally uh, resisting the idea, he said something like, "You don't know until you've walked a mile in these yellow boots, brother." I, I'm pretty sure that's a line that I remember from that either the, the Nitro book or maybe Bischoff. Uh, uh, maybe that was quoted from Bischoff's autobiography. I'm not sure. Maybe. maybe. But yeah, walk um, a mile in these yellow boots, brother. Yeah. And, and, and Bischoff's clear to talk about how Hogan was facing pressure from his family, not to turn heel, his agent. Yeah. Not to turn heel. Um, and then, you, you know, he fast forwards to. Uh, the buildup to Bash at the Beach. And at this point, he's got Sting locked in to be the third man, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets a call. Hogan wants him to come out to a movie set in, in L.A. to have a chat. Mm-hmm. And as Bischoff tells it, he goes and gets in, in Hogan's trailer. There's beers and cigars. <laughs> and Hogan asks him, well, who's the third man going to be? Mm-hmm. And Bischoff says, well, who do you think it should be? And guess what Hogan says? What does he say? You're looking at him, brother. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 slightly reminiscent. That sounds like a Vince thing, you know, calling up the Undertaker. Is the Undertaker there? I know. And he's I like, know. I guess that's me. I know. These cheesy oh. motherfuckers. Um, and so you know, it, and you kind of hear this in Hogan's promo after the turn, where Hogan says, "I'm paraphrasing." I'm bored with wrestling as it's existed for me. I'm joining up with this hot new group yeah. so I can get myself more over. Um, he says it in his promo. You know, Bischoff doesn't say in so many words that that's why Hogan had a change of heart. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of put the pieces together that Hogan saw this NWO thing was going to be a massive deal. And, you know, one could speculate, you know, rather than be sitting on the sidelines while this hot thing takes over wrestling, you know, Hogan being Hogan, he wants to be a part of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Dude, come on. Up until now, he's battling the Dungeon of Doom in, in, in monster trucks. Of course he wants to be a part of this. But I can understand the apprehension. I mean, he spent 10 years, 12 years, uh, you know, being like, you know, the top baby face in all of wrestling. He's not dumb. Uh, change is difficult. And uh, and. You know, it wouldn't have been the I, I, I it wouldn't it, it worked out so perfectly. There's no way that Sting would have been anywhere close to as effective a third man. I just don't see that. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I think for for hardcore lifelong WCW fans, it would have been pretty devastating to see Sting turn heel because from like for about a better part of almost a decade. He was a top baby face in the company, you yeah. know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. But again, that's for WCW fans on, on a mainstream scale. Obviously, Hogan is 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 by far the more shocking name to turn heel. Um, so, you know, we, we I think in other uh, things we've done, we talked about uh, Meltzer's reporting on who the third man was going to be. Yeah. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You know, uh, and I'd heard the name Mabel before. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, and apparently another name that uh, Meltzer brought up was Crush, which was pretty quickly dismissed. And I don't remember any conversation about Bret Hart being the third man. So I did a little bit of research on this, I think for like a Russell Juice video, maybe. And yeah. there were a bunch of like Bret Hart, the lead, one of the leading names at the time was Luger. And Luger made so much sense because of where he can, like, he was the first outsider on that episode of Nitro. It actually mm-hmm. would have made so much sense if it was Luger. Bret Hart's name was talked about a lot. So was Shawn Michaels. Like a lot of people are thinking that it was going to be Shawn Michaels. That yeah. was all like message board stuff. I think Brett's Brett's contract. Brett's Brett had a weird. I think it was like a two year to two year thing because there were a couple times like in 92. He almost went to WCW, yeah. which would have been 94 and then 96 if he was on a two year contract yeah. basis. Yeah. So I think Brett's contract might have made it possible for him to be to, to so, show up at that point. So. uh Scott Hall had an interview, I think, with uh, Inside the Ropes. This is what it looks like here. Where he talked about Bret Hart. This is what he had to say. Quote, we had no idea who was going to be. The whole third guy thing came up by accident. Remember, Kev and I called Bret, spoke to him. Mm. Kev spoke to him, and we told him it was really fun working at WCW. So it sounds like, effectively, they were trying to recruit. We could do Brett whatever we want here. It's great. We put the boss um, in a closet once. Well, that happened after this conversation i'm guessing so apparently bischoff extended brett a pretty sweet deal as uh scott hall put it brett wasn't interested so this is interesting that's what scott hall says uh quote we wanted to be hulk but hulk had creative control in his contract so he didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do we went to the ring we hadn't even met hulk yet oh, assuming wow. he said went to the ring this means at bash at the yeah says uh, scott hall continues i met him briefly at wrestlemania 9 but i didn't know hulk we actually went to the ring at Daytona and Hogan wasn't even there yet. He was on a jet flying cross country from shooting a movie. Bischoff wanted to be Hulk. But before he went out, Bischoff told us, if Hulk doesn't show, I'm going to send out Sting. Now, the, his timeline here, based on what Bischoff said, is 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 a, a little different. Bischoff said that he didn't want Hulk at the building mm-hmm. before the show started, mm-hmm. so he showed up during the second match. Yeah. yeah. And the way Bischoff puts it, uh, 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 he was nervous about Hogan following through mm-hmm. until the day of the show. But once Hogan showed up the day of the show, he's like, all right, this, we're good to go. Yeah. Okay. But he did have Sting as plan B. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know who the WWF hotline was telling people it was going to be? I don't recall. Ain't he great? Double J Jeff Jarrett. Oh, wow. That's from the Nitro book as well. I wish I wish there was a log of those old because they would just put out whatever and mainly just for like to try to screw over the competition. They would just put out whatever bullshit they wanted to put out. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, it's endlessly fascinating. And there was was the Mabel stuff. Um, But, yeah, no, when I was looking through, uh, uh, God, I forget what the video I did was, but it was like. Uh, what did people think? Oh, I think it was like at the anniversary of the NWO. I, I went and I looked at old message boards from who people thought the third man was going to be. That's mm-hmm. what the video mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, there was a lot of Luger. It was a lot of Luger. Luger was like the leading candidate because he did make sense. And, you know, when you look at the match, the way they book that, 
it's like, oh man, like that could it could totally been Luger. He could have faked that injury early on, and yeah. Then come back out, and yeah. Go, here he is. He comes out as the narcissist S- again, to save his save his team, and yeah, narcissist mirror all that, <laughs> all that shit. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, those are the names that that I remember standing out to me. Was yeah, I remember Brett. I remember uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. I mean, a lot of that. Who knows how informed people were back then about contracts and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's and it's fun. It's fun to watch, and it's funny because like when you see Hogan uh, about to drop that first leg drop, he he sort of goes up against the ropes and he taps the top rope, and it's almost like a little bit of apprehension, like oh. God, this is this might suck. This might kill everything. And then he shoves the ref aside. <laughs> he shoves the ref aside. He's like, "Here, give me some space here." And then, and then once he does it, he is all in on it. He is all in on it. Um, so it is. Uh, it is. It's still fun to watch. And I wrote down the entire transcript. We'll get to that point when we get to that point. Oh, his his promo at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where he, he mixes up. You know. It, 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 I know he says New World Order the first time he says it. Not yeah. That. It's New World Organization. But every time he talks about WWF, he calls it that organization up north or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I, I can understand it would be easy to get confused because he said the word organization a ton already. It probably just flowed. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, yeah. We can just get into it. We're not going to necessarily do beat by beat of the match matches because. Well, we'll just sort of whatever stood out to year old show. Yeah, yeah totally. whatever stood out to us. But uh, did you appreciate uh, Mr. Music Man? The Outsiders' first theme, and it was also used in all the recap packages. Uh, uh, how obvious was it that they were ripping off? Do you know the song? Well, Bischoff says it was a ripoff of a Van Halen song. That is not true. It That's is literally Seals Crazy. If you go back and uh, listen to it, yeah, it is yeah, yeah. dead on. Now. And I was like, I can't be the only one. And so I looked it up and it's all over the internet. People yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about it. But it's like literally it's just it's. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it totally it is. And it um, even it, there's even like that space where I, you know, this shit bit more than I. But like it goes into the chorus and I'm like, there's even room for the chorus there. <laughs> like it's just they rip the vocals. Never going to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, but I remember I was hearing that and I'm like, OK, this is a, a, a huge event you're booking here. Uh, uh, hostile takeover, and he had like some of the most calming music. I feel like I was on hold <laughs> trying to upgrade my internet. Yeah, you know, it seals. Yeah, it seals crazy in Muzak form. It You're, really it's, is it's the most hostile elevator ride you'd take. I know. And I was like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pleasant enough song, but I mean, your show is called The Hostile Takeover. I don't want pleasant. Well, you're also at the beach. <laughs> it's like the most pleasant setting. Like they've got all the the this, the early the mid 90s CGI water graphics and oh. uh, all the wavy shit going on. How, who was it? Was it giant who had crab cam? Did you notice that? <laughs> yes. They had a crab cam. That's right. It was like it was like a moving cam, and they had like crab legs jutting out from either side. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. look like you're the crab going and, and finding yeah. the giant. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, the opening is a recap footage of the NWO stuff set to uh, Seals Crazy. But yeah, that was just the Outsiders theme at the time, and then they changed it probably pretty. Sh- I mean, probably within weeks they had that actual NWO theme song. Yeah, I, would I think imagine. so. Once, once the faction was a thing. Uh, we had Tony, Shivani, uh, Heenan, and Dusty on commentary. Heenan and Dusty looked like a million bucks. Tony had on this cartoonishly large tuxedo with like yeah. some gray slacks. Looks like he got it off the rack, but like way too yeah. big for himself. And like and like Dusty just wants the main event to open the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Let's get this over with. Let's get it over with now. I can't, I can't stand the drama, baby. I just want the third man out here. And it is, and it's an effective through line 
the third man stuff because they reference yeah. it endlessly, like throughout every match. Like, you know, wow, look at that great move from Disco Inferno. Where's Bischoff, by the way? Has anybody you know, found I, Bischoff? I don't think anybody ever said what a great move by Disco Inferno. <laughs> Why did Dean Malenko hate that guy? So anyway, we'll get that in a second. Uh, yeah, it kicked off with Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis. Fantastic. Let, can I ask you something real quick? So I looked at pictures of Psychosis uh, unmasked, which he spent a big part of his WCW time, I think, unmasked. Like in the later years when they were just saying, fuck tradition and take these masks off these luchadors. The hair on his head, was was that part of his mask? Because he, he was a long-haired dude, but in all the pictures I saw of him, he's got black hair. In this, he had like very sort of uh, brownish with some like blondish highlights to it. I don't know if it was part of his mask or not. I was, I was, I was obsessed with that for a good period during this match. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I didn't really think about it whatsoever. Speaking of music, Psychosis's theme was awesome. I didn't notice the song. theme. Was it really it was cool? Great. Okay. It was great. All right. Um, Mike Tenay. Thank goodness they had him in this match because uh, he do all the names of the moves, and which is awesome. It was, but it was a bummer to hear all the commentary make fun of him for knowing all the names. It was so reminiscent of Excalibur with the rest of the aid, like early on. It really was early it really on. AEW commentary was like almost insufferable because, like Excalibur, like oh, Tope suicide. Well, it was just a suicide dive. He just, he just, it was, he just flew himself out of the ring. Excalibur, son of Tope, whatever that, whatever that is. <laughs> JR being all resentful for a dude knowing shit. Uh, know. Yeah, that's that's exactly what this is. In Mexico, they refer to this this Frankensteiner esque move as a hurricane rana. What, what you know? What that mean, baby? What are you talking about? <laughs> what that shit all about? The Heenan yeah. especially was just talking so much shit about the move names. Yeah, uh, but yeah. it it it's remarkable to see Rey Mysterio at twenty. He started when he was fourteen in ninety one. So he would have been like 19 or 20 at this point. Well, they said he was, I think they said in this match he was 21. Oh, he was 21. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're and right. had you're seven right. years yeah. experience at that point. Yeah. Um, he is so fast. Like he is, there are moments you, you mentioned this off stream the other day. Hey, you said you feel like even at this point they were going like half speed. It like they were, like they were holding back. Yeah. They felt like there were sequences where they were going full speed or near full speed. But then they always dial it back. They you know, would, it was like it yeah. was like they were they were they were trying to find a middle ground between doing a full on lucha libre match, yeah, and and doing something that you know was more consistent with what everything else in WCW looked like at the time. You know? I'm kind of curious if they were asked to dial it down because they didn't want to get the crowd too. I mean, that's a possibility. Like, hey, you know, we you guys can absolutely go out there and absolutely kill it, but we've got Big Bubba versus John Tenta on deck. So, can you guys not so kill don't the blow them completely out of the water? Yes, <laughs> we got to save some for Big Bubba and John Tenta. Because when 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 Jimmy Hart gets up there and gets that sock full of silver dollars, we yeah. want the crowd to be into that moment. <laughs> want the crowd to fucking explode. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, uh, psychosis in the end tries for a top rope razor's edge. Splash Mountain, they call it in some areas. Uh, but then Ray just hit a Rana out of that, countered it as for a Rana for three. But there was there was all sorts of awesome stuff like oh Psychosis just about cracked his head in the guardrail during a suicide dive. Dude, there are a couple moments when like Ray would do like that bit where Ray did. I don't even know what the move was. Uh, he just like launched himself out of the ring from the top. I think. Oh yeah, banged his calf on the on the guardrail. Yeah, yeah. There that sent on that Psychosis did. So Ray's laying on the mat on the floor, mm -hmm. and so I've seen people do with a seated sent on yes, the top to a yes. standing opponent. 
I don't think I've ever seen anybody do a senton off the top to someone laying on the floor, and Psychosis did that. Yeah. God I about damn. jumped out of my seat when I saw that. That was nuts. That was absolutely nuts. Yeah. I love it, too, because it says uh, Psychosis. So, the, 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 like, the, like I said, the finish, Ray hit a Rana for three, and Tony says, that's a spectacular move we've never seen before and we never, may never see again. I'm like... That these, happens every week. On these Dynamite. days, it's the opener of every, it's the opening move in every Rampage episode. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that match goes down. Afterwards, we get an interview. Mean Gene is with Conan, and uh, who's the current U.S. champion. And uh, Mean Gene is like, uh, Conan, can you explain to the people uh, what just happened? What was that move sequence? And Conan just reiterates exactly what Tanay had just said. He said, "Yeah, no, Psychosis was going for a top rope splash mountain." Uh, and then Ray hit a Hurricane Rana for three there for the win. All right, let's talk about your the U.S. title defense against Ric Flair and Conan. Well, I love I loved Conan back then, like especially pre Wolfpack NWO when he sort of became like a catchphrase machine. Conan just like playing it straight to the camera. He had such a charisma about him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, he talks about Ric Flair. If the horsemen are going to get involved, he's going to take them all out, including the women. He's going to clothesline them. He's going to chop block uh, 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 Mongo McMichael if he tries to get involved. And uh, he's going to walk away with that U.S. title. After that, we had Big Bubba versus John Tenta in a sock full of silver dollars on a pole match. Um, They needed to to consider remeasuring this pole because it's about six feet taller than it should have been. There is a proper name for this match, my friend. It's the Carson City Silver Dollar match. Sorry. How could I get <laughs> that, that wrong? Dude, that pole was like 25 feet tall. It really was. That was it really was. That was ridiculous. And what was even more impressive was just how quickly Jimmy Hart could scale that fucking thing. That was it was and the, the funny thing is the, the entire match is like two of these 350 pounders, right? And they're just doing the Haas match thing, like throw uh, trading blows. And and one would get close to the pole and it's like you just want the other guy to stay the fuck away so you can see this giant human being trying to scale this pole. And of course, it never happens because there's no way John Tenta was going to get up there and start scaling a pole like that. I mean, John Tenta looked like a time traveling wrestler from 1926 or something like that, didn't he? Why was half of his hair missing? I think because uh, 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 either a boss man or, or Jimmy Hart like. Oh, okay. Because they were talking about how they were taking more of his hair. Because remember, at one point, uh, the scissors came into play. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, this is all just like the two dudes, just you know, club and blows, club and blows. Big Bubba looked like he was on vacation mode. It was great to see him out of his boss man attire. He was super tan. His hair had grown out a little bit. Yeah. His belly was a bit bigger. Um, he looked like he was getting some of that sweet WCW money and just spending it all uh, and having a good time with it. But yeah, no, like I said, towards the finish, like it looked like. Uh, Big Bubba had taken out John Tenta. Jimmy Hart scurries up that pole. Like yeah. I was like, this is impressive. He grabs the sack, and as he's doing it, uh, uh, a Tenta lays out Big Bubba, and Jimmy Hart doesn't see that. He's up there celebrating with the sack. He yeah. comes back down and he looks, and he's like, oh shit! And so Tenta takes it off him, and it looks like he really. Whack the heck out of Bubba's head with that that sock full of quarters. I thought it was a gimmick sock, but then he pours it out. No, sure enough, it was it's full I, of full of silver dollars. Yeah. yeah, it was full of silver dollars. Yeah, he really really laid him out with that thing. He gets the win. Yeah. for three there. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Yeah, uh, and then he, yeah, dumps the silver dollars all over him. Then we get a quick bit where Tony... Uh, please with Eric Bischoff. If you could hear my voice, call so we know you're all right. Mr. Bischoff, we, where are you, sir? And then we had a, a Lex Luger sting and Macho Man interview. Lex looked really self-conscious in that face paint. <laughs> he did not he look like really, he did not he looked, look like he wanted to be in that face paint. No. Uh Macho Man says I don't care who the third man is. Uh he's just gonna he's just gonna get it like the other guys. Let's take them all out. Uh, Luger talks about preparation. He says they're prepared. He says the outsiders are coming and talk trash, uh, but the three of us are going to represent WCW. And Sting says, the unknown gives me, me such a dry mouth. I'm like, well, drink some water, dude. Get a piece of gum. <laughs> the, yeah, the unknown gives me goosebumps. Well, the put unknown. a sweater on, Stinger. I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> put a sweater on, buddy. Uh, and he says, does the same. <laughs> he said it does the same to Macho Man and Luger. They are a cohesive unit. I was like, you guys need to apparently get some water because you got dry mouth yeah. and get some jacket or a sweater on because evidently you're cold. Yeah, it's probably really humid outside. They got the air conditioning blasting in there. Oh, probably, yeah. Summer in, in Florida, so it's probably <laughs> hot and humid. <laughs> yeah, so basically the unknown makes stinks, the stinger horny. Uh, so, yeah, but no, Luger, he looked, he looked, he, he did look pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous with that face paint on. <laughs> and, I, and I think he fucking knew it. Uh, after that, we had DD Diamond Dallas Page. Versus Jim Duggan and DDP you know, was just like straight up like cartoonish heel here. It's so weird to see him bereft, heel. bereft of personality. I know because that's this was just carbon copy like him coming out like being all salty towards the fans. And evidently his gimmick was this guy who has tape because his hands it's the, the DDP rib tape gimmick. But it was just like his hands, oh, his gauntlets that, that, were taped up. That was a stipulation for a match. It was yeah. a taped fist match. Yeah. And he which just I, which I'm like, out. how is that really different than most other matches? A lot of matches, guys come out with either hands or wrists taped. Yeah. I mean, was like the, was like the closed fist punch legal? Is that the stipulation? I feel like I, we saw a lot of them during this show. Yeah. Well, people do that all the time. That still confuses the shit out of me. 
Um, but yeah, no, he comes out with that tape and he's all just doing all sorts of shit with it. So, uh, I mean, and this is just, this really reminded me of whenever you go to an indie show and they bring in like kind of a name and they bring out, you know, their top, you know, uh, heel jobber guy because DDP is just selling like crazy for Duggan all throughout this match. Yep. yep. Uh, and at one point, of course, he tapes Duggan's legs around the pole or on the ring post rather. Um, and then the finish was, I mean, it was just, it was just endless, that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, Duggan gets back in, but as he's getting in DDP kicks the, the middle rope up. So it hits him in the dick. And, uh, as he's recovering from that, he gets hit with a diamond cutter for yeah. three. Duggan gets right back up after the three count gets the tape punches DDP with his, uh, taped fist, but DDP got to keep his Lord of the ring ring. Oh, I, I didn't guess even... it was part of the stipulation of this match. Yeah, it was the diamond dozen ring, huh? Yeah. Oh, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, it was God. the Lord of the Ring ring. I just wonder, like, does does Tony Khan just every weekend turn on another WCW pay per view for ideas? Seemingly, <laughs> he's like, all right, let's see this one. Oh, what is this? Seemingly, the Lord of the Ring ring. Okay, cool. Uh, after that, we had a Kevin Sullivan and Giant interview with Mean Gene. Giant was really doing the whisper shouting thing during this whole interview. Where he's trying yeah. to shout at really low volume. Yeah. When did Kevin Sullivan go? I really want to pinpoint when Kevin Sullivan went from like spooky Jim Jones cult leader guy to just over the top cheesy Costanza. Because this dude, he has Costanzas. He's like, oh, what? People calling me the weak link? I don't think I'm the weak link, giant. What do you he say? I can live, uh, lift 100 pounds over my head. <laughs> And then so giant, Seinfeld reference. I'm and sorry. so, uh, so yeah, the, the call me the weak link is making me very thirsty. And he's like giant, and Mean Gene's like giant. Do you think that he's the weakest link? And he's like, he's the backbone of the Legion of Doom. He's the backbone of the. I can't even do the impression. I know it's hard to whisper. Shout it is. Uh, it but is. then the giant refers to himself as the elite. He's the the elite. He's like, I, they call themselves the elite. I'm the elite. Giant is elite. No wonder he ended up in AEW. Yeah, man, because he is elite. Um, after that, we had uh, Lee Marshall down on the... the what a beat. great voice Lee Marshall had. Right? Why didn't they use him more? I don't know. He was like, yeah, I don't know what he did for his day job, but man, WCW should have locked him up. He was great. So he was down there on the beach with uh, Arn and Benoit. And uh, so this was the deal. If Benoit and Arn beat the giant and Sullivan one of the horsemen get a title shot on nitro on Next nitro night. later on in the episode rick flair claims his stake at that title shot bro if you and i are gonna have if you and the enforcer our own enforcer stevie bradley had a match in which one of our faction would get a title shot would I then step up and be like, hey, if Larson and Enforcer win, I get a world title shot. What kind of shit is that? Shouldn't yeah, Arn or Benoit it's, get the title shot? It's pretty, it's pretty bogus. Yeah, it seems pretty evident that the person who should got the title shot was Mongo. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the, 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 the ease he took care of Desperado Joe Gomez, then I, I, I totally agree with that because he had the most dominant showing of the show for sure. He did. And there was only really one clunky sequence in that entire match. Otherwise, it went off se seemingly fairly seamlessly. To be honestly, though, they, they to be honest, they didn't really get that ambitious in the match. When I was watching it, I was like, this is literally a, march, a match that Larson and I could do. 
There yeah. was nothing. There was like hardly any pro wrestling in that match. And then when they got to the pro wrestling, that's when it got a little clunky. <laughs> that's when it got clunky. So anyways, yeah, there's that stipulation. Uh, Benoit used the term silent but violent, which just to me sounded like silent but deadly, which refers to a fart. Yeah, um, about farts. But, uh, but before that match happened, we had the public oh, enemy gosh. versus the nasty boys. Is uh, this the most boring boring falls can anywhere match you've ever seen it was like the weirdest i mean that's, that's entirely possible it was it was like half 24 7 comedy match half ecw like there was a bit where the the blonde enemy like wailed away on the blonde johnny grunge okay johnny grunge wailed away on the it was the other way is when knobs was hitting johnny grunge in the head with the chair right Yes, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah oh I, my I, god, that was like the most violent part. But like commentaries marking out when they're using an inflatable shark as a weapon. I'm like, at first yeah. they go, "It's a rubber shark." And then someone correctly says, "It's an inflatable shark." I'm like, "How is that going to inflict any damage on anybody?" It's an inflatable shark. Didn't they do the same spot at a fighter fest? That first fighter fest with the CEO of what was that thing? CEO. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, did yeah. like a pool thing with Nakazawa, I yeah. think. And I think they use a. I'm telling you, man, Tony Conscious sits back Maybe. and watches old WCW pay per views. But I feel like that was done for comedy, whereas this was done like seriously. They thought that was yeah, the that was weapon. on par with it with like three chair shots to the head, which only got a two count. By the way, yeah, no, uh, this match featured three of the absolute worst table spots I have ever seen. So at one point, oh, yeah. they're on the floor. So Flyboy Rocko Rock is putting Jerry Sags through a table. And this is what he does. So the table set up par- uh, parallel to the guardrail, like on the ramp somewhere. Yeah. So Rock O'Rock climbs up on the guardrail, and I use the, the word climb very loosely. Mm-hmm. He just kind of puts his weight up enough so he could jump off mm-hmm. and does like a double axe handle onto Sags. Mm-hmm. And that puts him through the table. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I understand. You got to protect your body. It's rough. It's kind of a weak spot. Yeah. So later on, they put a table up in, in the ring. This is like the most indestructible table I've ever seen. So Dude, Rocco, how was how was this table more indestructible? One of those like the New Japan tables, you can tell why like those things look sturdy and it takes a lot to break them. Yeah. This was like a standard fucking wrestling table. It really was. It really was. So uh, Rocco rocks puts uh, Jerry Sags on the table. He goes up top. Sags get off the table and since it's a dog collar match, we didn't mention that. Uh, you know, each member of each team is is connected with the dog collar and chain. So Sags yanks. Flyboy Rocco Rock off the top rope, and he's supposed to go through this table. He just bounces right off. It's like the table's made of flubber. The he thud, just bounces it, right the off. Of the, the thud is so disturbing. It's like, yes. <laughs> and so they try to do it again. So they so Sags puts Rocco on the table, goes up top, tries to drop an elbow. The table <laughs> still doesn't break. <laughs> and you look at this fucking thing, and you're like, what is going on with this table? They show replays, and it bows. Yeah, it's giving. Yeah, a it little just bit. is not breaking. Dink. And like um, the finish of this seemed like they just want to get this match over with. Mm-hmm. There's this bit where uh, 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 Brian Nobbs is his chain is taut because he's choking Johnny Grunge, who's over the top rope, and so Sags sends Rocco into that taut piece of chain it's across like that, the throat. It's like that scene in What We Do in the Shadows, with, yeah, with yeah. Jeff. <laughs> yes, but instead um, of being decapitated, he just falls, and I think that's the three, right? Well, he yeah, Sags wraps his hand in, in chain and, and hits him, 
and then covers him for the win. And the truest words commentary spoke the whole night when they deemed this match a mess. It was a disaster. Half of this match was in split screen, which if you think back to 1996, a large TV in 1996 was like 32 inches, right? Yeah. You're sitting maybe across. 36, maybe yeah, 36. Maybe. You're sitting across. You're a luxury if it's 42. You're sitting across a living room, standard definition, 4-3 aspect ratio, and they've got these tiny boxes featuring two guys just mixing it up in the sand with all these stupid gimmicks. It was it, it was terrible. It was not a good match. It was match not good. All. So yeah. afterwards, uh, uh, Public Enemy completely no-sells everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Rocco gets right back up. Yeah, right. And yeah. they all start brawling immediately. Brawl. And then eventually the table breaks. Mm-hmm. Sags yeah. goes through that table. By this point, it's on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, no, and commentary is like, oh, it doesn't look like this uh, feud is over. And it's like, oh, fuck me. Um, after that, Mean Gene, who is doing uh, yeoman's work as a detective, trying to figure mm-hmm. out who the third man is. He was brother. like Leslie Nielsen at that one summer. That's slang. exactly what I was thinking. Uh, he's in the hallway, all sorts of security there. Uh, and uh, is this the one? Mm, no, is, he, it's just he has security behind him. And he's like, oh, he's if, saying if, 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 if any medi touches me, I'm going to sue them. I'm going to take them right to court. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh gosh! After that, Disco Inferno. We had a cruiserweight title action. Uh, this was so. Like, this is a cut. This is a come down from the month before, which was Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio, which was probably, I would imagine, oh, an amazing. That'd be match. awesome. Um, yeah. I've probably seen it before, and it was probably awesome, but I can't remember it. Uh, for being in the cruiserweight division and being surrounded by Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho psychosis probably juventud guerrera at this time uh, or they were going to bring him in also right, yeah. ultimo yeah. dragon was coming yeah. around this time disco did not fit in at all this guy was the most like bottom basement wc wwf type main event type wrestling you know like that sort of sort of generic wrestler stuff against Dean Malenko, who was supposed to be the Iceman. But as soon as he comes in, he starts frothing at the mouth over Disco. He's like, listen, you motherfucker, this is my ring. <laughs> he throws the title at the ref and just lays into him. And commentary's like, I thought this guy was supposed to be emotionless. No, no. He, no. he, he had disdain in his heart for Disco Inferno that day. I'm all about um, fucking easy rock, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want some Rupert fucking Holmes. Yeah, uh, Dean Malenko bypassed disco in the seventies when it came to his music. <laughs> yeah. He wanted his captain and Tennille. Right, exactly. Um, uh, so this was this was this match was bookended by Dean Malenko beating the living shit out of Disco Inferno. <laughs> yeah, and the Disco Inferno would be getting two minutes of offense in. Uh, by and large, Dean Malenko beat the hell out of Disco Inferno. He won with the Tiger Driver, put him in the Texas Cloverleaf, uh, got that W. Uh, like Disco Inferno, he's not even a good dancer. I do he dance. He had so much less rhythm than I remember in my head. This dude was like Travolta from like you know when I no, was watching you, back in the day. You, there's a shot where him where he's doing this thing. <laughs> oh, it's and he's like, and it's like he look in his eyes and it's like he's not there. He's <laughs> man, he, he just he's not into it. Yeah. He's not even selling his own gimmick. How am I supposed to be invested if you're not selling your own gimmick, man? Dude, no, it's it is an odd combination of not selling his own gimmick and 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 actually giving a damn. It it's a weird thing because I don't know if it's just pure ineptitude. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, because he, he, I think he really wants to run with it because it is a gimmick. It's a very Vince McMahon gimmick, but it is a gimmick. I mean, it's, it's totally a Vince McMahon thing. I know it's a WCW and Vince had nothing to do with this, but it just feels like a Vince thing. You know, this guy comes up from like the indie ranks and it's like, you're going to be a disco guy. It's a very, especially for the time, a very nineties gimmick. It is. No, totally. Um, but no, he, uh, uh, yeah, no. And, but his, his, the wrestling just wasn't interesting at all like Dean Malenko has to come out here and carry this entire match uh and 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 Disco is just oddly slow like the guy's probably in his mid-20s he's oddly slow not the most athletic guy um and yeah and and I can appreciate that he tried to commit to the gimmick to the degree that at one point it looked like he could pin Dean Malenko and instead he starts dancing although I think Alex Wright did it much better we'd have to watch an Alex Wright match to to really uh, uh, see prove that out. Uh, after that, we had the desperado Joe Gomez, who is also a big Bears fan, and was pissed off that McMichael, uh, uh, Mongo McMichael, turned on Green. What Kevin Green? Kevin, Kevin Green. Green. Thank you. Yeah, Kevin Green. Um, so, what do we know about Joe Gomez? Well, here, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Why is Joe Gomez upset that Mongo turned on Kevin Green when Kevin Green was? didn't play for the Chicago Bears because I think that Joe Gomez thought that the Bears are supposed to be paragons of virtue and Mongo uh, McMichael betrayed that so he was just pissed off that one of his favorite players was then a heel oh all right well We're what do we know about Joe Gomez because I'm not familiar with this with his body of work I mean he's a tall dude yeah he seemed like he moved pretty well in the ring he had a good look to him, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. Uh, so, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. He The last match that he had um, was, I think, in like 2004, because I looked him up on on cage match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, maybe he was just the kind of guy who he teamed with the Renegade for a spell. He was in, I mean, he was in WCW in 1991. He went to the independent circuit for about five years. Uh, he was in Japan for a while. Maybe he was really popular in Japan. Let's see if he's got no champion. Oh, here we go. He was a uh, Florida championship wrestling from Florida tag champion with Mike Graham. Uh, he was in all-star wrestling, a tag team champion with Tatanka. Maybe he was just a tag team guy and he just never found oh, his tag maybe. team partner. He tagged with the Renegade for a spell he was, I don't know, there's no link to this, but the IWF Tri-State Champion eight hmm. times in the IWF. Well, whatever that is. Uh, I'm sure it probably says here in his Wikipedia entry because that's what I'm looking at right here. I think it's, it's the Intercontinental Wrestling Federation. Is that what it is? Okay. One of the two. Uh, let's see here. But no, I mean, he was in WCW for another three years from 96 to 99. I don't remember him at all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he was just sort of a jobber guy, but I mean, at least they gave him a story here. 
Um, yeah. you know, with the whole uh, I, I'm a Bears fan guy. It must it must be International Wrestling Federation. That could be. Uh, I do appreciate this line from Dusty re- with regards to Steve McMichael. He says Mongo is an athlete of the '90s. He's got power and speed. <laughs> and I'm like. Number one, power is debatable. Speed is off the table. Mongo is many things, but fast is not one of them. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how, was this, an, uh, 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 oh, sorry, it was Mongo's entrance that we saw a crab camp, not the giant. I Correct. apologize. Yes. Um, I, Mongo hit a low blow back kick right in, in clear of view of the referee. The, I think the ref even said, hey, you shouldn't do that. And no DQ. <laughs> and that led, And then there was like a roll-up sequence that was predictably kind of clumsy that led to Mongo hitting the tombstone to get the win. So Joe had a pretty decent sunset flip, and then mm-hmm. Mongo tried to like sit on it, and he just couldn't because he pre- clearly had zero core strength whatsoever. Yes. Uh, yes. And then, yeah, Mongo hit that tombstone pile driver. I love the, the, the audacity. What's your finish going to be? Well, how about a tombstone pile driver? It's like that, I mean, that's a pretty well-known move for somebody. It's pretty lofty. Uh, he's like, yeah, for Mongo. <laughs> says it is now for Mongo. Uh, after that, Mean Gene is with Woman, Elizabeth, and Ric Flair. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring something up here, man. <clears throat> and it's something I've felt for a long time, and I've never really heard anybody reference it before. Has Miss Elizabeth? ever looked like she was really engaged with professional wrestling even back when she was like getting married to the macho man in the ring with the whole mega powers thing her general demeanor was just i would rather be doing anything but this and maybe that was part of her appeal because she looked like um a very pretty very attractive normal person in a land of monsters and and superheroes and over the top characters. Yeah, right. Maybe it was just that was the relatability thing. But like she always just to me came off as somebody who would rather be doing literally anything else. She always came off. I, I totally understand what you're saying. She always came off to me as someone who always felt somewhat uncomfortable being involved in all this. Yeah, right. Or and, and, and by that uh, uh, measure. Would rather be doing any, anything else. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I never felt like she was comfortable being mm-hmm. in front of camera, you know? Yeah. Like woman, woman is really into this. And then there's, a, it's, it's a very uh, a silly sequence during this interview. And it's, 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 it's not without its charm, but woman is trying to butter up mean gene. And there's also, you know, and, and mean gene is such a character. Um, mm-hmm. But like this whole time, and you know, you know, from Mean Gene's perspective, it's like, oh, these are bad guys, and woman is just trying to manipulate me, you know, using her feminine wiles or whatever. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, Flair is there, and uh, they're talking about his match with Conan, and uh, they're they're yeah, go ahead, question, Steve. Yes, please. Uh, he he refers to Conan as the man of a thousand holds. He's not. That was Dean Malenko. I wrote that uh, down I mean, too. It was, it was on his pants. I mean, it's, it's on Dean Malenko's pants. It's his whole it's entire thing. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I was not I didn't know that either. So there was a whole thing apparently between because this 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 match is up next because, uh, you know, there's this, this this interview. Number one is way too long. Yeah. But I guess they just wanted all sorts of flair time, flair to the camera time. 
And it's again, like I said, it's not without its fl- its charm, but it does go on too long. Uh, uh, Flair is like, you know, Mean Gene's like, oh, I've got I've got commitments elsewhere. I'm assuming he was married or something. And uh, and woman's like, uh, Flair says something like, well, if woman wants to bring you across the street to our hotel, do she can do that? Woo, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're they're an after party match. Yeah, and he's like, Macho Man, if you think Elizabeth's gonna come home to you, not gonna happen. All that kind of stuff. Which I have no idea what the nature of the relationship was at this point, anyways. Um, but uh, this was kind of interesting because apparently Flair made like a big freaking deal about this uh, on his podcast like years ago, like back in 2015. He actually talked some shit about this match, and and I couldn't find the exact transcript hmm. of it, but I have some of the transcript or some of the response that Conan had for his comments. Now, hmm. on Conan's podcast, I think it was part of the MLW network back then. I'm not sure if it still is, but he had his thing with Court Bauer. Yeah. And uh, he says, Bauer mentioned that in a previous conversation, Conan had mentioned that Flair called all of his spots in the match in Carney. Like, that's the language he you, he referred to. And in fact, you can see a lot of spot calling in this match. He, he was speculating that Flair was intentionally trying to throw Conan off and make him look bad. I think Flair, like from what I was able to gather, Flair was saying that Conan wasn't a star at his level and Flair didn't like being relegated to the mid card because like, you know, Hogan and the NWO story was taking precedent. Flair didn't like that. And he, he pointed to this match as being maybe beneath him. And Conan did not like that. Uh, it said um, he uh, the, the, the write up here and I, I'll, I'll link it in the description if anybody wants to read it. It says, well, it's possible that Flair was just trying to work the match in an old school fashion. Bauer suggested that Flair might have just assumed Conan didn't speak English. And Conan summed up things by saying that the whole experience was embarrassing. Uh, he says, who knows? I just know that he was saying some bullshit saying, what is this guy even talking about? I was so lost during the match. I was kind of embarrassed because I was like, wow, maybe all of the old school workers use this language, but really what can I tell them? I was so confused in that match and it really wasn't that bad of a match when I look back on it and it really isn't. It's actually a pretty, it's, I mean, it's not like a good match cause it's just so overbooked, yeah. but fundamentally I thought the match was fine. It doesn't stick out. Yeah. Seemed like they were on the same page for most of this. It was just interesting that there was some weird beef between Flair and Conan, which seemingly at this point here in 2021, they've gotten past. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a little bit more research because Conan really did like it was striking just how much. Whenever I think of Conan, I think mainly of the Wolfpack stuff. Mm hmm. Him, you know, with with the with the Wolfpack attire, he he wore the flannel, and uh, and uh, and he would do the Viva La Rasa stuff, and it was supremely over. Mm-hmm. But this version of Conan, I think, I wonder if he had gone a different route, like maybe became like a, a, a WCW face staple. I wonder if he could have gone and challenged for like more top line titles as opposed to being a mid card guy in the Wolfpack. Yeah, because he did have such a good charisma to him that I thought translated really well in a babyface type way. He was he could have been like a real sort of tweener character, which I know he was in the Wolfpack, but he sort of took a backseat to the main players in that group. Yeah, it definitely seemed like as member of NWO and and Wolfpack, there was a ceiling for Mm -hmm. him, you know, not as much of a ceiling as his time in WWF. I, I was looking at his thing here at his Wikipedia entry, and I like this here. It says Conan made his WWF debut in September of 1992 in Hershey, Pennsylvania, during a Superstars taping under the name The Comet Kid, 
when he pinned Barry Horowitz. After three televised matches, Conan abruptly left the WWF following a disagreement with WWF owner Vince McMahon in 1992. Conan was not showing up for WWF events due to his rising fame in Mexico. He was a big star in Mexico. Yeah, he was. And his supposed bad attitude and heat from fellow workers led to a very strained relationship with McMahon, who had invested heavily in the Max Moon character, both financially and creatively up until that point. Some things just never change because that was a terrible, terrible gimmick. And I love the idea that Vince McMahon thinks that he invested heavily financially and creatively in the Max Moon character. What creative brilliance did we see from the Max Moon character in concept design or execution? I don't know. I, I, I can't pinpoint anything specifically. No. Um, so uh, Ric Flair ended up uh, becoming the new U.S. champion after this bout, thanks to Woman and Elizabeth. They both get on the apron. Uh, Elizabeth is up there distracting the ref forever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. forever. And eventually, Woman gets her one of her high heels, hits Conan with it, and then Flair again, basically in full view of the ref, puts his feet on the top ropes during the cover to get the win. It was as if he, Nick Patrick, the ref, was under a bridge of Flair. Because he was ba- like when he went down for the pin is when Flair was getting up there. And it's like, how does he there are several instances of just people's peripheral vision failing them horribly. Completely. Yes. Like if just clearly he's moving during the pin, trying to push himself up and just going. It's not just he was like he was on the bottom rope. He went no, all the way to the top. Yeah, the level. And I wonder if at this point in kayfabe, the NWO was like. You know, we need a ref for for the NWO specifically for us. And Nash was like, well, look at this match here. This is Conan versus Ric Flair. I think Nick Patrick would be perfect for us because he's fucking awful. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, after this was Arn Anderson and Benoit the Horseman versus oh, this the is what, Giant. Before that, though, we had Mean Gene outside the Outsiders locker room. Oh, like, oh. yes. He says this is when uh, Hall and Nash been joined by the third man. He says, I can't. I didn't see him. I could hear a voice. It's muffled, but familiar. It says it rings in my head, but who it is, I do not know. Hulk Hogan does have one of the more distinctive voices. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, so it must be somebody close to you. He's like, yeah, it's like I know what it is in my subconscious. And I'm just thinking like, what was he listening to? All right, brother. Here's the deal, I know. brother. I know. You take I care know. of Luger. Get him out of there, brother. That's <laughs> mean Gene's like. Who is that? the Gosh, fuck it's some, is it? So tip, familiar. It's on the, the tip, tip of my, of my tongue. tongue. It's right there. It's right there. Who is this guy? Is it uh, fucking uh, the warrior? No, that wouldn't make any sense. Oh, is Macho that, Man? No, he's that, already in the match. Is that mm. Bret Hart? Who is that? Anyways. Uh, so, yeah, this is great because Arn Anderson and Benoit come out. And uh, Arn Anderson gets attacked. So, like, they're on their, they're on the ramp coming down. They're off to the beach. Yeah. And they get attacked. Uh, Arn gets attacked but I think Sullivan first. And meanwhile, Benoit's right next to him, throwing up the fours, right? And like, so like the attack happens, they're just rolling right next to him and he's still just throwing up these fours and this attack is just happening right there. He is not paying a damn attention to this. No attention whatsoever. Finally, the giant attacks him because I know he's supposed to wait. There's probably supposed to attack at the same time, but giant's like 10 paces behind. Yeah. And uh, giant attacks him. And this whole match, like Sullivan's just getting his ass kicked during this entire match. Yeah, he is. There's this great bit, too, when Sullivan tries. My least favorite move in wrestling is the wheelbarrow 
to the uh, to the corner, right? It's when somebody yeah. goes down and the other guy's supposed to spring up. This was Oh yeah, that was bad. The most realistic rendition of this is when Kevin Sullivan does this to Arn Anderson. But again, the core strength or the thigh or maybe it was just coordination, I don't know. But Arn Anderson couldn't like spring up because it does take a lot of core strength to do that. And yeah, so he yeah. just sort of sits up and then he launches himself into the into the middle turnbuckle. It was oh, ugly it was as fuck. It was hilarious. It was great. It was great. Uh, as mentioned earlier, Mongo attacked uh, uh, the giant early on. And then like 90 seconds later, the giant just reemerges mm-hmm. with Jimmy Hart. They walk to the ring. Yeah, Sullivan's isolated for a good stretch. Uh, eventually, though, Benoit and Sullivan brawl up over the commentary. Sullivan slams Benoit over there. And then again, picture in picture, you see the finish of the match. Giant choke slams Arn to get the win. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Sullivan leaves commentary down to the beach set. Benoit hits him with a splash off the set. They're brawling back towards the ring. Uh, Benoit hits the belly to bl- back off the top rope on Sullivan. And then woman runs down to the ring and she's yelling at Benoit to stop. You're going to hurt him. Meanwhile, like Arn is reaching out to grab Sullivan's hand. And commentary really makes a point of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They even replay it. And then basically as soon as the giant got the win, he left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was off. gone. And, yeah. and then he comes back out and then Benoit and woman uh, uh, take their leave. It was pretty impressive too, because then the giant puts Sullivan over his shoulders and like he drapes him over the top rope, goes over the top rope, puts him back up on his shoulders and walks down the, the ring steps Yeah, with Sullivan, who is quite a bit smaller then, uh, so yeah, I don't know what the hell was going on uh, in terms of, let's see here. So December, it was around this time. Um, okay, so in it looked like a little bit after this is when they woman and Chris Benoit got together. This was like mm. I think around the start of their of their feud that ended up with woman legitimately. Uh, hooking up with Benoit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was around December that that started happening. So, yeah, this is like a little bit before then. So, about yeah. five months before. So. Worked yourself into a shoot, brother. Uh, and then after that, we got the, the hostile takeover video package again using the, the, the WCW band's cover of Seals Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there I was, was yeah. it was just like newspaper, like, phony newspaper headline type looking stuff was big news at the time b-roll but no actual like new interview footage or anything that we've grown accustomed to in these hype packages there are like some mumbled sound clips like no yeah don't know what it's like if you want to build excitement for the match there's a way to do it and there's this way look at the architects play (laughs) like you could just like these muffled little sound clips yeah uh we had uh bruce buffer a group of outsiders have threatened the sanctity of WCW. Then he called them interlopers. I didn't know this. A lottery was held. And coincidentally, instead of Joe Gomez, uh, Disco Inferno, and, uh, I don't know, uh, Kevin Sullivan being the guys chosen in the lottery to take on the New World Order, it was the top three faces of the company. Well, what they didn't tell you is that there's only three names put <laughs> into the tumbler. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Maybe Hogan was pissed off that his name wasn't put in the tumbler. Maybe yeah, they created this turned. monster on their own. That's entirely possible. Wait a second, brother. You're telling me that I'm not I'm not I'm in not there. one of the top three guys. Brother. 
so yeah, he said the interlopers threatening the sanctity of WCW. And uh, yeah, are you ready? The outsiders blast their seal ripoff music. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I gotta survive. Hey, how about this? Our music is seals crazy. Because you guys aren't going to survive because you're not crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, so Buffer's like, uh, the, sorry, but the third man's coming out later. Mean Gene gets in the ring. This dude wants some fucking answers. Yeah, He's like, yeah. hold on a second. Well, I don't have any backup to any police backup with me. But still. When he turned to L.A. Knight. I want to know your partner. Yeah. And then uh, Razor Ramon <laughs> says, you know what, Scheme Gene? You know too much already. He's here and he's ready. And Nash is like, oh, yeah, he's there all right. We got enough right here to take care of business, though. They don't even need this third man brother, apparently. And then Sting's music theme. Uh, sorry, Sting's music hits. Man and, uh, called Sting. Luger, Sting, and Macho Man all come out. I wonder if that was like an Easter egg there. Instead of having like some generic WCW music or have them all come out to their own thing, Bischoff was like, well, if Hogan doesn't come out, I'll have played Sting's music so that retroactively people can look back and be like, oh, he was selfish. He was going in on his own on this or some shit. Like I mean, there was, there was only one person making Sting money in WCW. <laughs> Guess who that was? Sting. <laughs> That's his music point. gets played. <laughs> That's a good, I don't remember what Luger's music. Of course, uh, Macho Man probably had that, what, the graduation theme song. Yeah, something like that, something like that. Uh, Tony Schiavone, you know, we hear him. Uh, advocate for people to, uh, I won't say hurt, but but you know lay it in on MJF during. Oh sure, matches, yeah. You know? he's vicious. Yeah, and he was vicious here about. I mean, Hebert says I want someone to hurt the outsiders. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know they're they're the outsiders. They're they're literally from WWF, man. Yeah, that um, was a story. So early on the bout, like Nash is on the apron, Luger's on the other side of the apron. And he's like got a headlock kind of yeah. over the top turnbuckle. Yeah. Actually, it's no, sorry. Nash is in the ring. He's like holding Luger yep. there. And then uh, Sting comes over, hits a splash on Nash. And I guess the idea is that either uh, Luger's head rammed to the ring post, got choked over the turnbuckle, something. He tumbles to the mat. He is out. He's done. I had to rewind that because I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with Luger? And yeah, he was just, they, they had him there and then he did the splash and then he was completely out. So much so that they had the EMTs had to come out with a stretcher. Very awkwardly put him on the stretcher because it's kayfabe, and they took him out. So the odds have been evened. Uh, yes. uh, it's now just Sting and the Macho Man. And if memory serves, this was uh, a, 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 an issue between Sting and Luger. They had an argument about that, and I think that is what led to Sting saying, I'm out. Oh, you're probably, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I don't I think remember. That's, or this was the first step in all that. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, and yeah, the outsiders just sort of whooping on. There was that nasty sort of bocce mover. Nash goes for an elbow drop on uh, on Macho Man, and I think Macho Man thought he was supposed to already be getting up to get yeah. the tag to Sting, and like so he awkwardly like cranks his neck. It actually looked pretty pretty nasty. He gets in, he, st- he tags Sting in. He uh, he starts. He's isolated for a while. He goes off. Macho Man eventually gets the hot tag. He comes in. He starts dropping double axe handles all over the place because he yeah. loved that move. Hell and yeah. Then as Hall is sort of distracting the ref, he's grabbing his shirt. Nash hits a double axe handle low blow to uh, to Savage going upwards. And uh, all the men are down. And then it happens. 
out comes Hulk Hogan, brother. Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Of course he's on the right. Keenan, shut the fuck up. Did Bischoff indicate, uh, did he indicate as to whether or not commentary knew? I thought I heard that they didn't. He was unclear on that. What he was clear on is that he gave him no talking points about how to react. Uh, Okay, okay. I would imagine, I would just get, I'm sure the info might be out there. No, about Hogan NWO. Let's find out. Let's see what the internet has to say. Very well. Very well. Uh, while you look that up, I'll go through the sequence here. So Hogan comes out. You know, the crowd's going crazy. Uh, uh, the outsiders, they flee to ringside. So Hogan's kind of standing in the corner. He eventually pushes the ref aside, hits Savage with the leg drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another. Then the outsiders get in the ring. They're all celebrating. They position Savage in the middle of the ring. Uh, Hogan tosses the ref out, hits Savage with another leg drop. He covers him. Hall counts the pin. They raise their hands, shake hands. They're celebrating. Garbage is raining down from the audience. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mean Gene gets in there to interview Hogan. Steve, you said you have the transcript of this. I do. I got it right here. So uh, Gene says, I've been with you for many years. You'd free to join up with the likes of these two men. Absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan says, well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, that this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the New World Order Wrestling, brother. These two men came from a great big organization up north. Now I'm doing Braun Breaker. Uh, Everybody was wondering about who the third man was, brother. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? And Gene says, I've been there and done that. You made the wrong decision, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization, brother. He says, I made the people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there. When it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan got bigger than the entire organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted Amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as billionaire Ted, Eric Bischoff, and entire WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why I want these two guys here, these so-called outsiders. These are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling. And not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan, the new blood and the monsters with me, we'll destroy everything in our path. Me and Gene and fucking just garbage is coming in. And Gene says, look at all this crap in the ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around with the likes of this man Hall and this man Nash. Hogan says, as far as I'm concerned, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. He goes hard on the fans here. He says, for two years, brother, I held my head high. I did everything for charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception when I got, I got when I came out here. You fans can stick it, brother, because if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hogan, Bischoff would still be selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. That was a good line. That's a good line. And if it wasn't for Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling the world out, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the new world organization of wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the new world order runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? And Tony Schiavone says you can go to hell, Hulk Hogan. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then off we off we went. The NWO was the hottest thing in wrestling. And then from that point onwards, for about eight weeks until it got super bloated. So many members immediately. (laughs) Giant was like, "Oh, a piece of that." 
Get some of that action. Get away from this weird little Costanza demon guy. <laughs> Anyways, let us know your favorite memories from Bash of the Beach in the comments below. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Have a great weekend. Yes. And uh, we'll see you guys again on Monday. Till next time, we'll talk to you later. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.